everybody, it's Corey Mosley, and this is the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast, strategy, testimony, and real talk for all things entrepreneurship. And it starts right now. Hello, 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 hello. Yes, we are back for another edition of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Yes, it is the place you come every week to hear from entrepreneurs, business owners, people who are out there making it happen every day in their business. I'm joined by another fantastic guest. I've actually known this guy almost 20 years. Crazy to think I'm I'm getting old, uh, and if I'm getting old, it means he's getting old, too. We're all getting old, I guess, as the time goes by. But it's my continued commitment to simply have smart people on this show. And I have the opportunity to have you hear from smart people that have different perspectives and also are building their business in different ways. I think a lot of times everyone is put in this box about what their business should be. You know what? You need to have, you know, a hundred million people in a hundred million dollars in your business and you need to have hundreds of employees and all these things going on. And there are just so many different ways to craft and build the business that ultimately makes sense for you. And I'm talking to another super smart guy who has been building a great business for well over a decade. And the person I'm talking about is none other than Steve Stawning. Now, he's the founder of his namesake company, Stawning Solutions Group, which is a leading training and consulting firm. He's also a prolific, pretty prolific author. Uh, His books include Ridiculously Simple Sales Management, Uh, and assumptive selling, as well as a book we're going to talk about today entitled Shit Sandwich. Uh, Yeah, listen, talk about titles that make you want to know more. That's certainly one. Um, He's a guy that really has, sometimes I say, contrarian views, but he's one of those people that sometimes says things that everyone's thinking, but no one wants to say. Steve, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. Now, you know, you've been in, I I say the sales game, I say the management game, but one of the things I think a lot of times is really creating this simplification, right? All too often business owners, we try to overcomplicate things. You know, I have a saying in, in, in part of our fearless framework that a middle school student should be able to understand how your business runs, right? Because if they can't, then it's probably too complicated. And I think that, One of the reasons I've always enjoyed your books and your writing and your commentary online on social media is it's just kind of like, it's kind of like just laid straight at you, you know, your philosophy, your strategies are kind of just laid straight at you. And it's kind of like, hey, if you just do this, this and this, you'll be fine. Don't have to overcomplicate it. What are you? What are you telling some of the clients? What are you telling some of the business leaders that you're working with? Because you're an advisor, they're turning to you for, you know, strategies in the new world order. Here, what are some of the things that you're telling people just outright in terms of running their business or running better sales operations in their business? What What's your kind of advice of the day right now that that you've been talking a lot about? It, you know, the advice hasn't changed since I uh, went out on my own about 11 years ago, but, and that is, it really is simple. It's not, you know, none of the solutions that are going to matter are complicated, even in today's world with technology and digital marketing and all of these other distractions, the, the, all of the answers are as they were 50 years ago, your, mm. your frontline people have them. Your customers have them. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is pay attention. And, you know, simple things like stuff that Deming taught, again, 50 years ago about process and, and you know, understanding what your goal is. And then those things that take us towards that goal are good. And those things that take us away from that goal are bad. And that's it. I mean, there's no it, – hmm. it, it's really kind of silly sometimes to me just how simple it is. And I, I right. you know, look, look in the mirror and say, I'm getting paid for this. I mean, the <laughs> answers are right there. So Yes. And, and you know what? I've, and I've talked about this on previous shows sometimes. So not only the simplicity of it, but also the natural ability about it, how the individual mind works, right? So how you might look at a situation and see its simplicity and – 
it's almost to your point it's almost you're like you know what is it about me that maybe i see this so differently or i can get so clear where people are like wow i never man steve i never saw that angle before and you're it's kind of like oh well you know this is what i do over here like you, you do feel those moments um you know particularly in the world of information or strategy you you do feel sometimes like you know what comes natural to you but is difficult for other people you almost you know it's it's almost too easy in terms of that right and and that's that's goes back to i think a larger thing like imposter syndrome and things of that nature that are that permeate in the entrepreneurship community would you would you agree with that i, I would and part of the uh there there was a time and i i think it was uh in my i was 29 or 30 when i realized that not everybody thought the way that i did and i don't mean they have mm. my opinions but i mean right analyze things saw things the way that i did and and that really helped me a lot because as much as there's a frustration level when I'm, you know, consulting with a, a large sales team, for example, and, uh, you know, and I lay it out and then the managers just kind of go off in different directions and, and don't reinforce that. There, there's a frustration with that, but I, but it, I, I don't expect them to constantly and immediately see things, you know, the way that I do. And, and that's, that's a big piece. The, um, you know, uh, one of the greatest examples of, of just not understanding your value that I like to use is Ted Williams, you know, the greatest hitter of all time uh, in, in baseball, failed as a manager because he didn't understand that everybody couldn't hit the way that he did. They didn't see the ball the way that he did. And, right. and that's and, – and I think a lot of people, like you say, that who get imposter syndrome and, and who, who question their value and that sort of thing, I, I don't think that they've come to that self-realization. And, and had I not come to that, I probably would, you know, um, I probably would just be muddling along somewhere in the middle of some business, you know, some <laughs> mid-level executive uh, working from paycheck to paycheck. So, Right. And, and so let's talk about that. So, you know, you've been on your own uh, in the entrepreneurship world for about 11 years, uh, you talked about. And, you know, from a historical standpoint, you came out of corporate environments, uh, leadership roles. You worked for several public companies or at least one big public company prior to starting out on your own. What was that tipping point or what was that kind of point for you? If you think back on your on your career right now, what was it that, you know, Hey, you know what? I I, I want to go do this for myself. What was that driving force for you in even taking the leap to? I mean, even from the standpoint of you know, you lived in a major metro, like you know, you were in Georgia, you were in the, and and now you're where are you now? I'm in uh, North Idaho, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So so, so a lot of people would go yeah. right. So a lot of people would go, man, you were in major metro working for a public company, you know, the top of the world kind of stuff that people might think about in, in the corporate world. And now, you know, now you've moved to Idaho, which most people aren't particularly in metros are going to get their arms around that. Right now you moved to Idaho. You're doing your own thing, you know, your way, that kind of thing. How does that how does that happen? 11 years so, ago. What, what is, what is fuels that? Well, and uh, the great news for me is that, and this happens, I think with most entrepreneurs is that the decision was made for me. Um, mm. Just al almost 12 years ago now, um, you know, think about it, it was 2008, end of 2008, early 2009. We were in the throes of a, of a recession. Uh, yeah. the, the publicly traded group, I, I work, the publicly traded company I worked for was reorganizing. I was reporting to the CEO and my goal was to be the CEO in seven to 10 years. And um, I was on track for that. And, and in, the, in the reorg, I didn't lose pay or lose, or, or lose title or anything like that. But, my, uh, but, but the, I, even though I was running uh, 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 marketing, digital marketing and e-commerce, the IT, the head of IT at the time convinced the CEO that this was a, an IT function and, and had me rolled up under him. And so mm. now I had this, and he actually reported to the CFO, and it's a long story, but now I went right. from one step to the CEO to three steps to the CEO. And I mm. just looked back and I, you know, and I, I said, you know, gosh, you know, you're, you're in your 40s. You're not going to be CEO in 10 years at this pace. Um, it's just time to do something. And, and so that's what made the decision. I gave six months notice. Uh, wow. And so that I, yeah, so that I, I wanted to have a smooth transition. I loved working for the company. It was great. Right. I loved the CEO, a terrific guy and, um, and, and a great leader. And, and so I wanted to transition in a way that worked for them. 
that also worked for me. Um, and I was already doing so much after work and, and, uh, and on weekends anyway, that it was easy to start kind of building this base so that I would have a softer landing than most. Um, and I look back now and, and had I not gone out on my own, I, I wouldn't be near retirement, meaning that I, I wouldn't be able to retire. I can retire today. I'm not bragging, but I, right. I can retire today if I wanted to. And that's a great feeling, right? The, yeah. the pit is not in my stomach, all of those things. But had I stayed in that corporate world and just kept that same trajectory, whatever it was, um, I would be looking at, you know, yeah, at 65, I can retire. And, and I wouldn't have right. that choice. Right. And so that's, I think that's the biggest thing. And again, I think like for most entrepreneurs, if they really point, you know, if they really, you know, uh, are honest about it, the decision was made for them. For at least for those that you know that go into the business world first and then become entrepreneurs versus you know the millennial who is going to reinvent the world tomorrow kind of thing right. and never works right. for anyone. So right, and, and you know I think so. One of the things that I was hearing you say, which I think is very important to call out, is the plan. So much of so many times we hear the entrepreneurship story of. I woke up and found myself out of a job or I just got fed up and I walked away and now said what I'm going to do. Like there's so much drama a lot of times <laughs> associated, right? With, with, which is just this, and again, another thing I just love about you, but I think it's worth saying because we always love the, the dramatic stories, right? Where we come back and hear the entrepreneurship story that, you know, should be a movie, right? You know, I just, there was on social media, a woman that worked for Walmart, it's going it's going viral right now and she quit but she before she quit she went on the intercom system you know <laughs> millennial millennial of course um of course she went on the intercom system and attention walmart shoppers so and so is this bleep 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 that uh this guy is sexist uh john in carpet you know john in the uh, produce department harasses women like she just went out with this bang Right. So never working for Walmart again, might not even get who, who knows what's going to happen to her. Right. But so we maybe she goes on to become some startup CEO seven years from now. Right. But but there's so much drama versus you saying, you know what? I looked at the landscape. I realized that what I had planned originally for my corporate career wasn't going to play out that way. And so I said six months in advance, hey, I'm going to go make this move. And I truly believe there's something to be said for that because A, so many people act from positions of drama and B, undercapitalization, you'd probably agree with me, is one of the big business killers. People underestimate the financial cost to get started, even with all these freemium tools and all these different things you can do for free right now, the underlying cost to really get started, most people underestimate that. So they come into the entrepreneurship situation and aren't capitalized properly because they didn't plan or because they made some dramatic decision and and that hurts them. And, and so I think it's important to see, hey, you can have you you can plan a little bit. You can be uh, funded. You could line up some business before you leave. Or I, I mean, I think we're on the same page with that. Yes, indeed. And and one of the uh, things that I teach folks, and it's in the Shit Sandwich book, uh, quick and practical success lessons for practically anyone. It's FMF, feed my family, and mm. that has to be goal one. And so you know, at the time, if you go back twelve years ago, I had I had three, you know, three sons living at home. I had a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old. And, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get my panties in a bunch and, and get on an right. intercom and whatever and do these things. Um, and that's, and you know, what's funny, that's kind of what shit sandwich is about is that we have to eat shit sandwiches in life if mm -hmm. you want to get ahead. And by the way, once you become an entrepreneur, be prepared because you're going to eat more shit sandwiches than you ever had to do in corporate life, right? Uh, because I don't, you know, in corporate life, you just eat shit sandwiches from above. And, right. and as an entrepreneur, you eat them from all sides. You've got customers, <laughs> you've got bankers, you've got, you know, all of these things. And you're just eating them all the time. So uh, the, the millennial I get, unfortunately for her, it's been recorded. And so it could hurt her down the road. But, you know, right. at, at 16 years old, I, I'm working at Jack in the Box. It's my first week there. Uh, and I'm working late shift on a Friday. I mean, it's probably 2 a.m. or something. I'm working the fryer. Uh, the manager comes to me, she comes to me with a mop and a bucket and said, um, 
you know, someone vomited in the, in the ladies' bathroom. I need you to clean it up. And I took off my paper hat, and I took off my apron, and I walked out. I got on my bicycle and rode home. Um, <laughs> because FMF was not a goal then, right? I'm 16. Right. I'm not cleaning not clean it up vomit. I don't care what you're paying me. And of course, back then, who knows, who knows what minimum wage was? I was probably making, you know, $1.35 an hour or something, but um, you, you can do it that way, right? You can have this dramatic, you know, exit where everybody does the slow clap as you, as you leave and hop on your bicycle at two in the morning and ride home. But um, it's different today. And, and, you know, it's, it, and so the drama thing might propel her into something great, uh, like right. you said, or it may propel her into, into not uh, gaining, you know, meaningful employment, moving on. And I, I, my right. hope is that it doesn't, is that she doesn't, it doesn't begin to define her internally, meaning that I always mm. have to be the rebel, right? Yes, because if, yes. Because if I was that 16-year-old jack-in-the-box employee, you know, in my 40s working for a publicly traded company, I would have lasted about a week because, right. you know, after, after a week of pleasantries, it's what have you done for me lately? And, you know, and, right. And, and, and listen, I think taking from, I want to go through a couple of your books because they're so, and, and guys, you, you, we're going to talk about a couple of these books here that I, I recommend because it's just such a, a, a great writing style. Um, and there's always little cartoons. It's just so, so little cool things that you do with it. And so kind of staying with the, staying with, you know, the shit sandwich uh, theme here. You talk about a couple things in that book, some obvious things, right? Life isn't fair, but you also talk about this idea about, you know, you cannot get more than you give. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that, because I think in, particularly in the entrepreneurship world, I deal with a couple of things when, when we talk to members or pretend, I should say potential members of, you know, fearless entrepreneurship society. And part of that conversation is this core principle of, you can't expect someone to invest in your product or service if you're not investing in becoming a better business owner or investing in creating a better customer experience. So talk to us a little bit about that principle. You know, you cannot get more than you give in, in your context as you've laid it out in the book. And, and this is really kind of a long-term, a long view of the world that you can certainly steal Mm. Uh, for the short term, and we'll just mm. use that word, whatever it is. But, you know, you can certainly trade less for more in the short term. But it, but over the long term, you, and, and that's if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you really need to think the long term. For me, uh, what's what's been very successful is, is because I do so much business consulting, and that's really the, the bulk of what I what I provide I want to make sure that that my clients get more than they pay for and that they feel that way mm. because uh, part of that is, you know, I, I choose to have a lower risk approach to entrepreneurship. In fact, I don't even like to look at myself as an entrepreneur. I call myself an overpaid member of the gig economy. Um, <laughs> and I mean, really, I'm just, you know, I'm an Uber driver that has a better gig than an Uber driver. But um <laughs> It, and, and so, you know, in some ways, and I, I've seen this with actors, right, that they are so sure that this that this gig that they have right now is the very last gig they'll ever get. Right. Right. Uh, and, and, and they're and I'm, not, and I'm talking folks who are A-list actors who really have this fear that I will never act again after this movie. It's the last movie I'll ever do. Right. And so and, and as a business consultant, I approach every assignment that way. And then I make sure, though, that if I can just, if I can over deliver everything, then we're going to have a long-term relationship. And so I have a long-term relationship, in fact, with, with a lot of clients where they've gone from these, you know, one-off sort of assassin roles where I would come in, fix things and leave, and then everybody, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, goes on and does what they do to now where I'm. I've got clients that want me to help them maintain. And, and that has given me, you know, when COVID hit, for example, it, travel shut down. And I went from traveling three weeks every month to not traveling from March 20th to July 20th. And so, right. you know, uh, that's, you know, three months of no travel. I'm sorry. Four, yeah. So four months, I'm sorry, of no travel. Had I not had monthly clients, uh, maintenance clients, I would have been in trouble. And right, it right. turned out that, you know, I was in great shape because of that. And so 
that's the give more than you get. And I, I think for any listener who just doesn't kind of understand that there's also this piece of in the book, shit sandwich, this, this concern and courtesy um, idea that, that, you know, when you have genuine concern about other people and you're genuinely courteous, great, generally courteous, great things will happen to you. And for those who don't believe me, who think, you know, uh, that, no, no, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I never see these nice, nice guys finish. La- all I see is nice guys finish last kind of thing and all that. Mm. I, I like to look in the corporate, think back to the corporate world. I've got these examples all over the corporate world of these really inept people who were super nice <laughs> and they continue to grow in the right. corporate world. And right. I have these, and I have these examples of these guys who were always right, but always jerks about it and mm. they go job to job they don't last right. very long they don't you know and 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 they a lot of them have to go out on their own because no one really wants to work with them right. and and that's part of that give more than you get you know that being concerned about others and, and having empathy and wanting other people to succeed um it really helps you get better so it brings up another point I think is interesting. It's also in the book, but it kind of always drives this, you, you know, when you and I will talk, I'm, I always leave the conversation going, this is why I like this guy. And and, and there's commonality because another thing that I talk about that you that's in your book, I want you to expound on it is I talk about this idea that not everybody is supposed to be an entrepreneur. Now, the problem is the market makes you believe that if you are not running your own business or doing your own deal, then, you know, that's the only way for you to get everything that you want. And I, I've always had a problem with that idea because some people just aren't supposed to do it. And of course, in your book, you talk about the idea that the world needs ditch diggers too, right? So it, it, not all of us are going to be Bill Gates and some people are going to have, you know, crappy jobs and, and, and those types of things. But your perspective, of course, is though, you know, be the best at whatever you're doing. So talk to me about that, because I think we share that philosophy too, from the perspective of everyone, you know, and again, I understand, particularly if you sell the idea, you know, if you sell the dream of, building your own million dollar business that if you sell that dream in that way then you know I, it would be bad business for you to convince people that maybe they shouldn't be entrepreneurs or maybe shouldn't start a business so that's probably not good for that business but for the rest of us i think there's a truth there right that some the chief in the indian kind of kind of statement right some people need to be on the front lines or somebody you, you know you need people to be able to execute also so it's the you know, A student works for the B student, C student runs the runs the company analogies. Tell us a little tell me a little bit more about your philosophy in that in that idea for some of our listeners who maybe are just like maybe they're struggling in their business, um, or or they're thinking about starting one and and you know, they're going, Is this the only way or or what should my perspective be? Yeah, and your perspective should be what makes you happy and your goals. And hopefully those are those coincide you know that they intersect at some point this whole concept and and the concept that came in into the book because i had always felt that way right i'm i want to do what makes me happy so my goal for for uh, going out on my own is i wanted to live where i wanted to live which i get to do that in north idaho i wanted to work when i wanted to work with people i wanted to work with so mm. um i fired clients before because they they just aren't it, it they weren't fun anymore for me right. they, they weren't they weren't making they weren't improving my life in any way other than monetarily and that's not what i'm in it for and i and as you know i came out of automotive the automotive yeah. industry and there's there's a famous guy in the automotive industry who also came out of the automotive industry who runs these gigantic seminars with, you know, 10,000 people in attendance and people all over the world watching. And, and this guy makes millions of dollars. He probably makes a couple million dollars a month and, and uh, more power to him. I I really, I don't, I don't hold any ill will towards him other than, and this is how it got in the book is that he looks at everyone who's not willing to do what he has done some sort of slacker in life. And I think, mm. and I don't take, and I don't take it personally to me. I worry about all these other people who fall for that and think, Oh my God, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, there are people who watch movies on air. You know, his, his big thing is he works on airplanes while other 
you know, while the slackers are watching movies. Well, what right, makes you happy? Right, right. right? There are right. people who read books, you know, there are people who read fiction. I happen to like nonfiction, right? There are right. people who watch movies on planes and there are people who are on their laptop working and who cares about what that guy is doing? In fact, let me help that guy do whatever makes him happy. Um, I, you know, I, I, obviously the FMF feed my family is a big one for me. And then, and, and, you know, coming out of a recession or, you know, in the recession, starting this business, I chose early on that I was going to be low risk because mm. high risk, while it may bring high reward, could jeopardize FMF, my ability right. to feed my family. And so it wasn't worth it. And, you know, I look back on my, you know, gig economy career, entrepreneurial career, and I, I wouldn't change anything because I didn't go bankrupt where others did, but right. I also am not making $2 million a month where others are. And that's okay. Right. I'm, I'm really happy. And, and that's all I want for others is. This is so know, important right here. This is such an important that, message. That's all that's important. If, if you're yeah. happy, if you're only going to be happy, if you create a unicorn and you put $2 billion in the bank, God bless you. Go for that, you know. But if if you're going to be happy owning a you know a coffee shop the size of an old photo mat, and only you and I know what photo mats are, but you know if you <laughs> want to own this little this little coffee hut somewhere, and you want to work 15 hour days and get to know your customers and chit chat everybody up, and that great, do that. You know, make you know bring forty thousand dollars a year to your bottom line. Fantastic. That is that's right. what makes you happy. That's what you ought to be striving for. And that's that's the key to entrepreneurship, right? If it's not making you happy, what in the world are you doing? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And 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 it's interesting as you get older, as you get deeper, a lot of times you get that perspective. I was taught a technique a long time ago that you shouldn't and, and, and this is why I say the client well, not so much the clients because they're already in business, but people who come to me for the I'm thinking about it advice for me if I'm starting out. And one of the things I always looked at, and I do say this to early stages too, but the technique was I started to look at in my business, the things I was doing as I was doing them, how I felt about what I was doing, the action, right? You and I, uh, you know, prior to COVID, you and I, you know, we've spoken at similar events. We've spoken at the same events and done keynotes and different things. So as speakers being on that, you know, circuit, uh, obviously being in front of that audience, right? How did I feel about that? Uh, of course, phenomenal, natural climate for me, doing media, doing stuff like this, natural climate. Then I started to look at what were the things I was doing? Like, you know, was I trying to do my own QuickBooks at 2 a.m.? Or was I trying <laughs> to do, right? Was I, was I trying to be my own accountant? Was I trying to be my own lawyer, trying to cut and paste contracts or proposals and, and those things? And I started to just look at, and even the products and services that I was offering going, you know what? I really hate this part of the deliverable. And once I started paying attention to that, I started eliminating, and this is to your point, right? Working with people you want, doing things the way you want uh, for the outcome that you want. And that's so important there because once I started to learn, I don't like this, regardless of what it paid, I'm going to stop doing it. Now, FMF, you go back to your point, FMF, now, okay, Corey, you don't like doing this, but it's paying you 10 grand a month and 20 grand a month. What are you going to do different to obviously still, as they say in the modern world, secure the bag for your family and, and for your lifestyle? So there's that kind of piece that you're always dealing with. And so, so I think there was definitely some good points there. Now, I want to pivot for a moment because I, I, I don't want to run out of time before getting some insights from you on sales. Uh, one of your most recent books is Something Selling. And I want to talk about your perspective on that because so many business owners, I talk about this over and over again, they ignore sales. And as crazy as that sounds, they uh, aren't, they think it's all about being a natural salesperson or I don't have that natural sales ability or Corey, I'm not really great at sales or I'm not salesy, but I bake a hell of a chocolate chip cookie, right? And you and I both know that nothing happens inside an organization until revenue is created. So step one, question, part one of my question is, what advice do you have for business owners 
who are not in a situation where they don't have the luxury of a sales team at this particular point. They're more in the gig economy solopreneur model, or they have a small team, but maybe their team is more focused on deliverables and customer service, let's say, or, or back of the office stuff than front of the house. So what are some of the core steps or core things you would say to a business owner who is not naturally a natural salesperson or whatever language they like to use, but of course really has to understand selling is the lifeblood of businesses. I would say businesses don't go bankrupt because expenses were too high or because of this. It was because revenue did not exceed your financial responsibilities to keep yourself in business. So what advice do you have for, for them when it comes to selling? It's one thing. And that is this, if you are not sales, then you are support Mm. and everything else and that's the and and so in in fact in ridiculously simple sales management it's one of the lessons that i try to teach sales managers is you know you're not the one selling your job is to support the sellers you may think it's all about you you know you know most Mm. not most sales there's a lot there are a lot of sales managers out there who think it's about them greatest closer greatest closer to ever live i can close anybody right yeah exactly and i'm dry you know i boy if it wasn't for me it would have been a terrible month and all this stuff none of that's true it truly isn't It, it, it is about support and so you know the solopreneur or the guy with just a few people you know it doesn't matter if you build a better mousetrap because and i'll go back to automotive again i've seen so many people build a better crm a better dms a better digital marketing platform, a better whatever. And they went nowhere with it. They went bankrupt. And because they focused right. so much on the product and they had, and they didn't focus at all on the distribution and didn't understand the distribution and didn't understand how to be a superior marketer. Where at the same time, I've yep. seen these folks who are, who are just knock down, drag out terrific marketers, people I hate because they're so good at it. Yeah, come and deliver near garbage, and yeah. people yeah. And, and the market yeah. laughs it up. Yeah. And it's it, it it is because they are better salespeople, and w- however you want to put it, I call them better marketers. But that's all it is. So whatever it is you want to do, separate sales and support, and understand that uh, you know, as you said, nothing happens until revenue's coming in the door. Nothing happens until someone sells sells something. Yeah. And, 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 and so if I'm not sales, if that's not the hat I'm wearing today, then my only job is to support sales. So it might be right. building, you know, baking a, a great cookie that could support sales. Right. Right. Uh, but it also might be making sure that, that whatever, when I, when I wear my sales hat, that I'm getting in front of the right people, that I'm saying the right things that I'm doing those things, but more so those folks with the team, you know, how am I going to, to support those sellers to keep me afloat. Mm. And, and you're right. So many entrepreneurs don't look at it that way and don't understand yeah. that. Um, they really think they can hang that shingle out there and just folks are going to start calling them. And I see that. <laughs> That's uh, right. That's and, right. And by, you, you, yeah. And, over, and I, by the way, over, over posting on LinkedIn is not marketing. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, and so, so, okay, no, I want to, so let's go with this here because, you know, as someone who, who who obviously is, is commenting in the social forum uh, and and these different areas, right? There, there's so much emphasis. I don't knock anybody. Listen, I don't knock anybody's hustle, as I would say, as long as, in my opinion, you're not, you know, taking advantage of people or, or putting out bad information or unethical information. I don't knock anybody's hustle, but you know, you have right now people who are, selling, you know, LinkedIn courses on how to, you know, how, how to kill it on LinkedIn. And, you know, I, I'm sure like you, I get all kinds of LinkedIn requests. I'm at, I'm at the point now when I look at somebody stuff, I, I interpret, like I see a pitch coming and I don't even accept them as a friend request. Like now I'm getting all these messages from people who are like, Oh, I teach coaches, you know, how to, how to get clients on like, you know, and love to connect with you. And I'm like, well, dude, I don't, I mean, this is, I'm doing that. I mean, we're, you know, this is, this is, my, this is, this is the business I'm in already. We, we have, you know, I have a marketing strategy that's working for us and helping us add members. And so I know, even if I thought they were an interesting person, I know the moment that I click okay to link in, here comes the, 
you know, are you adding three to 10 high value leads every day in your business? If not, so it's almost like a worthless connection to have because yep. it's so transparent. So it's funny that you brought that up because people are being taught and I don't nothing against a Gary Vaynerchuk or, or, or even a Grant Cardone who I, who I know you were referencing earlier about content, but you know, because people are being taught, you got to crank up the content, get get that content out there. So people are really driving themselves ragged to put out stuff. And then they're so devastated when only one person, you know, it's this emotional mind meld that we're in right now on likes, acceptance, you know, posts and all those things. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that for, for business owners who, you know, are just wearing themselves out trying to be everywhere or they're buying into you know they're on their 30 second course on you know how to do i'm not big on diy i think that the goal is you create you create revenue so you can work you can get the resources you need whether that's an accountant or a marketing person or a salesperson or whatever if your eye is on revenue then i you you know you have no business if you're not a cpa if you're not this to me trying to do everything personal philosophy but what would you say to people since you brought up social media about kind of their thoughts about trying to do everything, be everywhere, particularly if they don't have the resources to really do it well. Yeah. So content is important, it, but it, it, its level of importance is it pales if it's the only thing you're doing. Like I said, you know, someone who, who then all they do is overpost on LinkedIn to talk about the importance of their product, um, you right. know, whatever it is. And I've connected with them. And so I see their posts and, and I try to support them. So I start liking their posts. And so LinkedIn says, oh, Steve likes these posts. So every time this guy posts, we're going to put it at the top. And then you start to feel sorry for them because you see posts that have been sitting out there two days and the one like they have is from you. And, right, and right. To, to, to the point of Gary Vaynerchuk and, and, and Grant Cardone, um, I want to know how many, and this is not a slide on either one of them. They're both super successful and a, and a really admire their successes, but how many Gary Vaynerchuks has Gary V created? How many Grant right. Cardones has Grant Cardone created? And, right. and, and, and I understand that's probably not their goal, but, but certainly their followers and those that are dumping money into these ventures expect to be the next Gary V expect to be the right. next Grant. And I'll call him Grant C. We'll get create that for him. But, you know, they want to, and the fact is, is that that's not, that's not the case. These guys are selling things and they're super successful at selling things. Back to your other point though, about, you know, not wanting to be the accountant or whatever, you know, comparative advantage is a big thing. And businesses that understand that are the ones that grow, uh, you know, the, the best guy, you know, the, the person who probably would do the best job sweeping the parking lot of the, local donut shop is probably the owner because he would care the most. Right. Mm. But is he the best person to sweep the parking lot? Right. Um, I, I remember the first car dealership I worked at in 1985, the, uh, there, there was someone changing a, a, a socket or receptacle, you know, an electric electric socket. Yep. And it was the owner. And, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this was 1985 <laughs> and, and right. you know, what, what was an electrician back then and whatever. And, was that was that the best use of his time? And so all of I was in kindergarten, were, by the way. I was in kindergarten, <laughs> by the way. But go ahead, just for clarification. At least you were alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> the, I'm starting uh, to feel old know, now too. But yeah, but but uh, yeah. Yeah, most times when I say 1985, people look at me like that was uh, you know, <laughs> ten centuries ago. Yeah, so, I just but, wanted to point it out as if you were saying, "Oh, well, Corey, you remember 1985?" <laughs> well, not really. I was just five years old. But go ahead. <laughs> well, neither you nor the owner should have been changing an electric socket. Okay, yeah. you, you were yeah. five, and he was the owner. <laughs> and that this whole concept of comparative comparative advantage it goes to things like overposting on LinkedIn, and you know, is that the best use of your time? And and like you say, working QuickBooks at two a.m. is that the best use of your time? Right. And having that recognition to move those activities somewhere else, you know, with sites like Fiverr. And others, I mean, there, there, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there are all sorts of things you can get done so cheaply and, yep, yep. and done well, and that it that it, it makes no sense to try to tackle those yourself. Now, when the, when there's not enough revenue coming in to to pay all of the bills, then yeah, you need to make those decisions. But 
you know, certainly the, the $39 a month I spend on a payroll service provider is yeah. nothing compared to never, I don't have to send a tax form to my state or the federal okay. government right. that has anything to do with payroll. They do it right. all for $39 a month. It, it's just, it's mind boggling right. that I would, that anybody would, would sit down and do that. Yes. And, you know, yes. I, I just, it just I doesn't make any sense. So. I agree. <laughs> let, let me ask you craziest entrepreneurship moments. So if you think back on the last 11 years, what, what is something that, you know, jumps out at you? You know, I've had guests really talking about how they've had to, you know, pivot since COVID. And, you know, I used to tell a story about having, a, uh, you know, I had an emergency root canal before I was supposed to go on stage. Um, like three hours before I was supposed to speak in Vegas, I, ha- I was at a dentist's office having a root canal that was done bad, redone. So I, I uh, you know, I told anybody when I got on stage, if you see me drooling, it's just because I had an emergency root canal here. <laughs> you know? So, so what do you what, when you think about your uh, your craziest uh, moment? Tell me uh, uh, what comes to your mind. So it 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 actually it's it's crazy and it was really uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable now to even talk about it. Mm. But I had and you're going to laugh once you hear. Uh, but I had um, I had put a bunch of training videos online. I, I had done some work for an OEM. And, and a lot of their dealers wanted me to come in and do this training for them. So many that I just, I didn't have, I didn't have the time. I only, I had to pick right. and choose which dealers I could work with. So I recorded the videos that would help these dealers and I put it online, put it on free. It's on YouTube and, and allowed anybody to go see it, but you know, made sure that these dealers knew where it was at. So I had all the, I have all these training videos on YouTube that are, that are free. And I was um, going to uh, train a, uh, a business development center, a call center at a car dealership, uh, car dealer group in the, in the South. And mm. I arrived and I didn't know that they had, that the whole business development center team, this whole call center team had been watching my training videos, knowing that I was coming in and that they, you know, it was sort of a daily ritual. They would spend about an hour a day and then they wow. would get assigned to watch them after work on their own and that. And when I walked in, they treated me like I was a celebrity. Truly, and what was the craziest thing about it is the first thing that we did before I could get to any training was I had to sign autographs <laughs> and they posed for pictures fun, with me. Fun. And, and it was just bizarre. It was so weird. And, you know, now when I teach, you know, folks how to do social selling, for example, uh, you know, being on Facebook and, and doing, doing live videos and that sort of thing, I warn them, you there, there will be an air of, celebrity you will become sort of a local celebrity <laughs> right if you're right, really, right you know if you're really prolific and you really put a lot of stuff out there i mean that's how gary Vee started doing youtube videos at his dad's wine shop right store. that's right that's and, right and so and and the idea was he became a celebrity because people saw him all the time so i didn't expect it um it, it, occasionally people still want to take photos with me luckily no one asks for my, for my autograph unless they <laughs> happen to have one of my books and want that autograph that's still bizarre to me <laughs> um, but, but, I, but I do it, but you know, I was there for, for three days and for three days, it was to this group of call center agents. They really thought that they were working alongside someone who was yeah. famous and yeah. I was famous in their call center, you know, no one at the right. Burger King knew right. who I was. Um, like you're actually so here. That, like, uh, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I just saw you on the computer screen and now you're here. It's kind of like that. Right. Thing. So that, now that's it. I do I, not, not that it's a competition, but I doubt you've ever had anybody um, send you a picture um, that they were doing your uh, training on their iPad from the commode. Uh, uh, no, not the commode. No, I did. Yeah, I did. Corey, I'm, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm taking you everywhere. There's the picture. Uh, like that was definitely a TMI moment, uh, you know, for me. That wasn't, you know, hey, appreciate you, brother, but you didn't have to send me the uh, social proof of that. <laughs> man, man, man. So. I want to pivot here. We talked about that moment. I want to bring you to our rapid fire. This is our, our segment of the show where, you know, we give our listeners just some insights into, you know, how you tick a little bit as an entrepreneur. So I've got nine questions and you're just going to give me the, you know, you're going to give me the either or answer um, that we got. We got it. We call it rapid fire. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. PC or Mac? PC. 
Favorite credit card for small business? Amex. Are you a physical planner or digital planner kind of guy? Physical. Favorite software right now to manage your business? That I use QuickBooks. Okay. Starbucks, Dunkin', or other? Other. Home. Home coffee. Home coffee. Is that local, like a local brew? No, it's I make it in my home, about eight cents a cup. So there you go. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean? What are, what are you talking about? Well, I, I don't go out and buy coffee. I start a pot first thing in the morning. I go brush my teeth, take my shower, come back, pot's ready. I drink okay, my what coffee, coffee are you using? Uh, I am using you- Seattle's, Seattle's Best, which is a which is owned by Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Seattle's Best. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I just had to dig a little deeper into that situation. No, no. My so, pleasure. <laughs> that's like, and, and listen, because here's the deal. It would not surprise me if you told me some crazy stuff like, well, Corey, I, I got a, 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 a wild forest outside that I get my own beans. <laughs> and like, dude, that would not, from you, that would not surprise. <laughs> I grind my own beans right here. I pick them outside. Like, I, that would not surprise me at all. That's why I had to get clarification on it. <laughs> All right, next question. Thank you card or thank you email? Card. Card. When it comes to learning, hardcover book, tablet, or audiobook? Hardcover book. Hardcover book. What's your next big goal? Wow. Um, it, it, you know, it's all of my goals are little goals, and I don't – I've hit my big goals – uh, living where I want to live, hitting certain revenue targets, that type of thing. I'm okay. 57, and so now all of my goals are little goals. And so my next, uh, I've got two books in the works, um, okay. and one of them is a novel, a fiction, mm. uh, a work of fiction that I've never written. Everything's okay. been nonfiction, and yeah. so if I if I had to, if now that I've narrowed it down, I would say my next big goal is to write this this fiction novel. So okay. because I've never okay. done it. Okay. Nice. We're gonna I'm I'm making note that we'll check in on that. And then final question is uh one day with any mentor who's still alive, who would that person be? Um Corey Mosley. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. So I love uh, <laughs> just for the audience to understand that you know Part of being an entrepreneur or just being successful in management is knowing you don't know everything. And every (laughs) time that I spend more than 10 minutes with Corey, I walk away with (laughs) some sort of gold that I never had imagined and that that some of it becomes life-changing. One of the the, the listeners are going to think this is the dumbest thing ever, but, you know, because I, I consult and I travel, I had been char. I had been. I had been uh, charging my clients actual expenses, and and Corey said no flat rate it because. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but yeah. basically, there are certain ways I like to travel, and there are certain ways that my clients want to pay for travel because they like to travel a different way. And right. I happen to be one of these folks who needs to work on the plane, so I want first class, not because I want the service, but I want the space. Right. But I don't care what hotel I stay at because it's just me. It's not my wife. It's not my kids. It's mm. just me. And so I can stay in, in really cheap hotels and travel first class and flat rate my travel. And that has become gold to me. And, and you know, right. it may seem silly, but what was it? Two years ago, you told me that. And for yeah. the last two years, <laughs> I've actually made money on travel expenses <laughs> because I, I flat rated it at a rate that I knew that I wouldn't, you know, that I, that I wouldn't go over very often and I never right. go over it. So right. anyway, silly stuff like that. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I, gosh, if I spent a whole day with you, I don't know what I'd learn. And I might walk <laughs> away with a, I might walk away with a Corey pillow. So there's that. Well, listen, we'll get that. I think you said favorite car was Amex. So we can work on, we can talk about that offline. We can, as <laughs> long, long as that Amex works, you can have whatever you want. So uh, we'll, we'll put that day on the books real soon. All right. Final, final, final. I have my entrepreneurship trivia. So uh, we need to determine right now if Steve is going to join the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Shame in terms of getting the trivia question right. All right, it's multiple choice. So you've got you've got a fair, you've got a thirty three percent chance. I got three multiple choice options for you. Uh, are you ready for your trivia question? I am. 
Okay. Who said the following? No one lives long enough to learn everything they need to learn starting from scratch. To be successful, we absolutely, positively have to find people who have already paid the price to learn the things that we need to learn to achieve our goals. Here are your options. Jeff Bezos, Brian Tracy, Steve Jobs. I'm going to say um, Brian Tracy. Is that your too final many answer? Words for the other two guys, Brian Tracy. Too many words for the other guys. <laughs> final answer. Final answer, Brian Tracy. So I want to tell you something. So, and this is so. I, I've said this multiple times in the show about, about why I love you. Your deduction, first off, B is correct. It is Brian Tracy. So you're in the Hall of Fame. But your deductive reasoning on how you arrived at that is exactly why I'm such a Steve Stoning fan because <laughs> nobody else that I know would have deduced the answer to be Brian Tracy because all these other guys use shorter words. Like, I just, that's what I love about your brain, man, is that you're like, oh, no, that's way too long. Definitely Brian Tracy because he that's how he talks, right? That sounds not like – Oh, there was something in there that, you know, sounded very much like him. It was like, oh, as long <laughs> as that was definitely Brian Tracy. <laughs> Man, I um it's been great. So Steve Starting goes in the Hall of Fame. It's been super, uh, super great having you on the show. Um, you guys need to check out Steve's uh Steve's books. They're all on Amazon, Assumptive Selling, Shit Sandwich, Ridiculously Simple Sales Management. And the other one we didn't talk about, I think you did with your son, the thirty thousand yeah, right. pound gorilla in the room. Um is a is another cool one. So cool, cool books, great writing style, things that are definitely in there to make you smile and make you think. Steve, if people want to just get get in your orbit, how do they connect with you on kind of social media or just to just to hear more of, of what you've got to say? So I am the only Steve Stoning in the world, uh, and that's good and bad, but it's good because you can find me on all the all the social networks. Because I'm over 50, I have to say the in front of them. So you can find me on the, fa- the Facebook, the LinkedIn, the Twitter. Uh, happy to connect with any anyone who uh, doesn't want to sell me something on LinkedIn. So feel free. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Steve, man, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show today. Corey, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. And as I close out today's episode, I'm asking that you subscribe to the podcast to get our latest episodes as soon as they are released. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a review. If not, <laughs> just keep it to yourself. And if you've heard something today that can help someone you know, then I encourage you to share it. Finally, If you're a business owner that's ready to become a fearless entrepreneur, then head over to my website, fearlesswithcorey.com, to learn more about the most comprehensive business growth support system for entrepreneurs on the planet. I'm Corey Mosley, and this has been another episode of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. (laughs) 